Hello, and thank you for joining us here at the Sonoma Avenue Church of Christ for the third sermon in our One Kingdom Indivisible series. This is a special series that we are preaching along with several other churches in the Bay Area and even some across the country as together we teach about how the kingdom of God draws us together as the followers of Jesus. I've spent a lot of time uh, this week thinking about the stories that we tell and how important those stories are. Now, there are a lot of different stories that we can tell about ourselves, and the stories that we choose to say, they, they tell a lot about who we are and how we see ourselves in the world. Uh, for example, many of you know that I have had a lifetime, really, struggle with uh, depression and anxiety. And while many people may choose to not share this kind of struggle, I choose to share with anyone who will listen. And uh, it's, it's obvious why people choose not to share it. Maybe you saw in the news this last week how Dak Prescott, uh, the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, came out and said that he struggled with depression and anxiety. And a media member, Skip Bayless, came out and said that he was weak and could no longer be a leader. Well, one of the main spiritual ideas that I have developed over the years is that as people, as humans, we are all broken, and our brokenness is not something that we should try to hide. So through my struggle with anxiety and depression, I've come to the conclusion that my brokenness is a part of who I am, and that God redeems me through that brokenness. And this is an idea that has really helped me grow stronger through the power of God, because I no longer spend my time uh, trying to fix myself or be some perfect version that I think I need to be. Instead, my story is that I am broken, but God loves me and redeems me. Well, last year, I taught a class at Pepperdine uh, where I kind of shared these ideas about brokenness and how brokenness can actually help us grow spiritually. And uh, after the class, uh, a gentleman who was there approached me, and he told me that I'm not broken because I am doing something good with my illness. And we went back and forth for a while, but it was clear that he was very uncomfortable with the fact that I would describe myself this way. But the thing is, like, I am very comfortable with this story. I am very comfortable with the story of being someone who struggles with depression and anxiety, being someone who may never fully overcome that, but knowing that God is made perfect in my weakness, that God uses me because of my uh, willingness to be open to him through my struggle with anxiety and depression. So I stuck to my story. Uh, this is the story that I have to tell, and I believe it's a story that people need to hear from me. The stories that we tell have a major role in shaping our identity, and that identity in turn shapes how we relate to people. For years and years, I tried to Tell the story that I am someone who doesn't make mistakes, who doesn't have all these sort of glaring weaknesses, who always has the right answer or knows the right thing to do. I love my new identity of being someone who is broken and redeemed through God instead of trying to be this perfect or uphold this really false perfect image. Sometimes the stories that we tell make, may make other people uncomfortable as was true in my case. 
And we are seeing that a lot right now. Across the country, people are telling stories. But some of those stories come in conflict with stories that other people want to tell. And we have all sorts of stories that we could tell in this country. The story of America as a Christian nation, uh, the story of America as a nation of immigrants, the story of America as a place of opportunity, the story of America as a system of oppression. And each of these stories has elements of truth to them. And we also have stories that we choose to tell about ourselves, stories of victory and failure. Sometimes we highlight the victories and ignore the failures. But I get to choose which story within this vast catalog is my story. And the stories that I choose to adopt as my own tell me who I am and how I fit into this complicated world. Once I have that identity, it changes how I relate to other people. Our purpose here is not to understand our identity as Americans or immigrants or members of an ethnic group. We want to understand what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God and to have the kingdom of God be our story. If you are a follower of Jesus then your story primarily is the story of the kingdom of God. And that story supersedes every other, any other story you could tell. Which means that we have to struggle sometimes to not let other stories give us our primary identity. Instead, we have to let the kingdom give us our primary identity. So this morning, I, I want you to think about which stories define us? It's always tempting for us as the people of God to allow ourselves to be defined by the immediate and very present realities of our world rather than looking to our Father in heaven to know who we are. It's, it's really easy for us to get caught up in all of the chaos that is going on around us and to let that chaos be the story that we tell. And certainly there are a lot of candidates that are vying to have the main storyline in our lives right now, whether it's, it's COVID or racial unrest or wildfires or police violence or any of these things. There are so many stories that are pushing to be the story that we tell, that are looking to dominate our worldview. And when that happens, when all of these things sort of come into play, it can be more difficult for us to focus on that which is more than the things we are experiencing right now, the story of the kingdom. Now, this was true of the people of God, especially during the time of the Exodus. They were defined by their then-present circumstances. They were slaves in Egypt. But God wanted to give them a new story to tell. And there is no story more significant to the narrative of the people of God than the Exodus story. So I want you to think, how do you identify with the Exodus story? Because here's the interesting thing, I think, about this particular story. 
I don't know that the average Christian identifies the Exodus as being a Christian story. And this is for a couple of pretty good reasons. Number one, I think most of us grew up uh, viewing the Exodus story as a Jewish story. And we can certainly agree that it was significant to the Jewish people, but Jesus sort of became the Passover lamb and then blah, blah, blah. But I also think that most of us, especially those of us who are white, and I know for myself, grew up in a well-taken-care-of, middle-class family, I don't really know what it feels like to be oppressed. And I certainly don't know what it feels like to be oppressed to the point where I cry out for liberation. And in the churches that I grew up going to, I didn't hear that message all that much. The message of oppression and liberation. Now, in contrast, black churches have long adopted the Exodus story as one that is the foundation of the story that they have to tell. Why? Because they have faced and continue to face oppression. Therefore, the Exodus story holds great meaning to those communities. We see in the Exodus story that God saw the oppression of his people and acted to liberate them. And this is the name that is given to this kind of identification of God. It is called liberation theology. The belief that God is one who sees the oppressed and goes in to liberate them. And when you have faced or are facing oppression, then the Exodus story takes distinct form in your life. But regardless of your background, the Exodus story is foundational for our understanding of who we are as Christians. It is foundational to our understanding of the kingdom of God. So we might need to rethink a little bit how this story in particular makes us who we are. First, consider a way in which the story of the Exodus mirrors your own story. How do you resonate with the story of being rescued out of Egypt? Secondly, consider how this story might resonate for someone with a different background. Uh, maybe you've heard some new stories these past few months that help you see the Exodus in a new light. But the Exodus is the foundation of the Christian story because suffering and rescue become formative ideas that create a specific identity for the people of God. And all of us have experienced it in one way or another. So the Exodus story starts in a place of suffering. We're going to pick it up here in Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 14. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, 
the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The story of the Exodus starts with suffering and oppression. And it's important to remember that our own story starts with suffering and oppression. It is important because remembering that we were once oppressed gives us sympathy for oppression everywhere. We are more sympathetic and understanding of situations that we have faced personally. And, and this is something really natural for us. For years and years, I have had problems with my stomach. And one of the main issues that I have had is indigestion. If you haven't had indigestion, uh, it happens when your stomach decides it wants to punish you for something that you ate by burning your throat and chest with acid. It is a pretty uncomfortable experience. Early on in our marriage, I had indigestion all the time, and Nisha had never had it before. So when I would tell her that I had indigestion or heartburn and I would tell her how uncomfortable it was and how much it hurt, she would smile and nod and pat me on the head and, you know, basically try to be sympathetic. But then one day, she had a painful burning in her chest. And she came to me and she said, this really hurts. And I said, oh, what does it feel like? And she described it to me and I said, that is indigestion. And she said, this is what you have had all this time? I'm so sorry. You are such a good husband, so handsome and strong. I was a fool, forever doubting the amount of pain you were in. A at least that's how I remember that part of the conversation. Well, today, we all have different experiences. Some of us face very little persecution. Some of us face racism because of the color of our skin. Some of us face sexism. Some of us are judged differently because of our age or our natural ability. We all have our own pain. So to connect with oppression in Egypt, it, it connects with us in different ways. We can all identify with the fact that there is something in our lives that is keeping us back or holding us down. But beyond our personal experience, there is a broader point that we need to grasp here. And, and, and that is this. The kingdoms of this world are in opposition to the kingdom of God. It is no accident that the start of this kingdom of God takes place in opposition to the kingdom of Egypt. Egypt was the great power in the world at the time. When a kingdom of the world has power, it wants to keep that power and will do whatever it takes to stay on top. And the leader of Egypt saw the Israelites as a threat. And so what did he do? He used his power to oppress them and to hold them down. He made them slaves and used them to build up his own kingdom. And we see an important truth here as the idea of kingdoms are introduced to us in the Bible story. The kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of God have very different values in mind. 
Those values are directly opposed one from the other. And the kingdoms of this world will seek to subject all other kingdoms. So the story starts with oppression. A kingdom of this world is holding down the people of God. And the people of God are crying out to God in their oppression. But the good news is that God hears the voice of the oppressed and he responds. From Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt." I cannot overstate the importance of this. God hears the suffering of his people. Suffering is difficult in any situation. Nobody wants to suffer, but suffering alone is nearly impossible. God hears, God sees, God knows when his people suffer. We have seen this play out in our country over the past few months. The sense of not being heard is what lies behind many of the protests and riots. In 1966, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, a riot is the language of the unheard. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am not condoning riots or approving of violent protests. I'm not saying it's okay to tear down people's businesses and lives. This is never a solution. Violence against law enforcement is not in any way a solution to the problem of violence against African-American men. But Dr. King helps us to understand, not condone, why people riot. It's because people feel that no one sees their suffering, and they are partly right. The particular pain of African Americans has far too long been denied. And I have even had conversations with white friends in different parts of the country over the past couple of weeks who are hearing the voices of the black community, but they're not listening to the voices of the black community. Because it can be so hard for them, again, as white middle class people to understand the oppression and suffering that has gone on. And and they hear the story and it doesn't match with their story and they can't figure out how to make it work. But this is the story that we're hearing. That the African American story has not been heard. That it has not been listened to. The story of the kingdom of God begins with God hearing the suffering of his people. The voice of the one who suffered does not go unheard. God hears. 
And if God hears the voice of the suffering and the oppressed, then we should too. If we are one kingdom, then when one of us suffers, we all suffer. Part of being unified is that we listen to each other's pain. We need to have God's eyes and ears to see and hear the suffering of our brothers and sisters. It can be hard to listen to the pain of others. And it can be hard to listen to the pain of others and not be defensive. I've done a lot of marriage counseling over the years, and one of the hardest things to navigate is the pain that comes out in these counseling sessions. In particular, the pain that one party feels. And when one party expresses their pain, the other party always wants to defend themselves or give an explanation as to why things are or aren't the way that they have been described. And the hardest thing is often the act of putting oneself aside so that you can hear and care for those who are in pain. But like God, we must listen to the voices of those who experience pain because this is what our God does. And we can't try to make ourselves feel better by trying to explain why it isn't really that way or has never been that way. We are dehumanizing our friends in pain when we do that. What happens when we listen to the pain of others? Well, when I listen to their pain, when I hear their story, my heart breaks for them. My heart breaks for the brokenness in the world and it compels me to want to do something about that pain and brokenness. I don't know about you, but you, you can't hear someone's deep pain without wanting to do something about it. And when God heard the pain of his people in Egypt, it compelled him to act, and he rescued them. So God stepped in to rescue his people, but it didn't happen like we would most often like this kind of rescue to happen. Because you see, God um, did not step in and whisk away his people from all of their suffering or oppression. In fact, things got worse before they got better. Once God decided to intervene, he spent the next several weeks teaching his people one very important lesson, that God and his kingdom was bigger than the kingdom of Egypt. He sent 10 plagues designed to demonstrate his power over the various forces that were at work within the world of Egypt, each plague corresponding to an Egyptian god or something that they held dear. And by the end of the story, when the Israelites leave Egypt, the victims had become the victors. From Exodus chapter 12, verses 31 through 36. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it out on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. 
The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. This is an interesting turn in the story, and one that I actually haven't paid that much attention to. But not only did God rescue his people from Egypt, but he made it so that they plundered the Egyptians on their way out. This is what is so important for us to realize when we are in the midst of suffering or oppression or pain. What we see and experience here on earth is not all that there is. When we look with the perspective of this kingdom and the things that happen here, we don't see the whole picture. Instead, we are challenged to look through kingdom eyes. We are challenged to see that things that happen now cannot stand against our God. The things that happen now cannot stand against our God. The situation that we are in does not define us. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, and it is that which defines us. Can you imagine what it must have been like that night? Having gone from, in just these short weeks, from being slaves of Egypt to telling their Egyptian masters that they wanted silver and gold and clothing. And God gave it to them. Now, knowing that this is how the story goes, this rescue, this turning of the tables, it, it doesn't mean that we simply encourage others to overlook the hurt that is going on. If we are going to look through the eyes of God, if we are going to use kingdom eyes, it means that we see the hurt, we recognize the pain as real, but we are also aware of God and his purposes. We are aware that even when terrible things happen on earth, we worship a God who is above all these things. To apply it to our current situation, he, he's not a racist. He cares for African-American men who fear the police, and he cares for honorable law enforcement professionals who fear unfair retaliation. Our God in heaven is bigger than all of these situations, you see. Everything we do flows out of our knowledge that God is bigger and his kingdom, his perfect kingdom, will ultimately prevail. It doesn't change the fact that we suffer here. And it doesn't mean that we should just forget about the suffering and turn our eyes to heaven. But it does mean that the story we have to tell is not defined by all of the junk that we face in this place. That we can be confident that our God is going to rescue us. And that our God will overcome every kingdom of earth. Right after God rescued his people from oppression, he gave them something to help them remember this. He told them who they were. This is what we need to know day after day. If we don't know who we are, we are going to find ways to divide over every little thing. 
and over some big things too. But when we know who we are, we can be one in Christ because our identity flows from our rescue. From Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and now and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. This is what God did in the Exodus. He saved his people from Egypt, taking them out of the world and making them distinct. He wanted them to understand that they were to be different. The powers of Egypt did not define them. God defined them. They were his treasured possession and we're supposed to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And as I close, I want us to think about what it means to be a holy nation. The root idea behind the word holy is to be different, to be set apart, unique and distinct. This is what we need to understand about the identity of the kingdom of God is that we are to be distinct, different. We live our lives in a different way. And that same emphasis carries forward into the New Testament. The Greek word for church, ecclesia, means the called out ones. One of the main aspects of the kingdom of God is that it is distinct from the world. But once again, we are so tempted to allow ourselves to be defined by the identities the world gives us. We are challenged to make our story one of the world's stories. We are Republican or Democrat or CNN or Fox News. We are rich or poor or white or black or, ra or Asian or, from la or Latino or we are white collar, blue collar, educated, service industry, tech industry. We are Americans or immigrants or undocumented. We take all of these identities and we own them because this is the world, this is who the world tells us that we are, that we are one of these things. And some of those distinctions are incredibly important. Each of those changes your experience of the world dramatically. But we cannot be lulled into thinking that our experience in the world and all the labels that the world put on us is all that there is. We cannot allow these identities to supersede our identity as citizens of the kingdom of God. We cannot let those stories be our story. So where does our story come from and what is it? What is the story of the kingdom? It is a story of God's people lived out on earth in competition with other kingdoms. While we might be tempted to seek out the kingdom of God voice in these other kingdoms, we have to realize at their very core, they will find themselves in conflict with the kingdom of God. All of them do. 
We cannot be deceived into thinking that the kingdoms of the world are going to tell the same story as the kingdom of God. We have to recognize that there will always be a point of departure. No matter how much a kingdom of the world claims, it is in line with the kingdom of God. Because our God has written a story that is very different than the earthly story of gathering power, oppression, and suffering. For he is the God who hears our cries for help, who hears the cries of the oppressed and delivers us from this world. So we too hear the cries of the oppressed and we speak the kingdom into these places. All of us are living the exodus. Again, whether it's because we face racism or sexism or classism or any of those things, whether you haven't been oppressed at all in your life, your story is still the Exodus story. Because all of us at one time were controlled by the power of sin and death, but through the sacrifice of Jesus, we have been given life and freedom and forgiveness through our God. We are all oppressed. And God hears our cries and sets us free. So this morning, or whenever you're listening to this, I challenge you to find yourself in the Exodus story. I challenge you to understand how this world attempts to stand against the kingdom of God. How the story of the kingdom is so different than the story of any other kingdom. How you have been oppressed. I challenge you to hear the voices of those who are crying out and saying that they are not heard and that no one is listening. And I challenge you to speak the kingdom into those places to say that God hears the voices of those who call out to him. He rescues them and he gives them a new identity. Praise God. Praise God that he hears our cries, he rescues us, and we get, he gives us a new identity as citizens of the kingdom. I'll see you next time.